for our, our worship team, for Pastor Ty and the whole squad. They got up early. They tuned up their voices, drank their ginger tea, just did the whole thing, ready to be in the presence of the Lord today. And I'm grateful to see your face. Uh, do me a favor. Take your hand to strength and place it on your heart. You're here at the 9 a.m. service, and it's important that we recognize you. I want you to repeat after me. Father God, I got up early. I'm serious about this thing. I came with a spirit of expectation. Mold me. Change me. Make me just like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. I, want you to, I don't want you to get up early and roll in cranky. Amen? I want you to get up early and roll in and be like, I'm in the 9 a.m. You know what I'm saying? I brought a paper Bible. I read it all the time. It's dog-eared. Now, I'm not telling you to judge the 11 a.m. when they come in behind you. But I am telling you that I love you and I'm grateful to see so many faces in this new season for our church. It's a, it's a new season. Amen. The fall has come. The Lord has richly blessed us with growth over the course of the summer. And in the lives of churches, summers are times of shrinkage. And, and God's just been faithful. He's shown up and, and he's doing something in our church. And so we're, we're making room, making room for us and making room for the harvest of souls that God is focused on uh, producing here in our city. Amen. My name is CB. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to serve here at this church. It's my home church. I love it here. And I've got a couple announcements for you. And then we're going to just jump right into the word. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Awesome. Let me, uh, let me tell you about what's coming up next Sunday. Somebody say next Sunday. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. Amen? It's our first Sunday to do baptism in the fall. And I have just a few spots left. So here it is. Okay? If you have seen the Lord do something new in your life over this last year, if the Lord's changed you, if he's brought you to a new saving grace, if he's changed the way that you live and move and have your being, or if he's brought you back, I don't want to encourage you to take a public step of faith. Baptism at this church is a symbol. It represents us declaring out loud, the Lord has done something on the inside, and I want to tell everybody on the outside all about it. Amen? And so here's what we're going to do next Sunday between both the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. service. We're going to do baptism right outside underneath the marquee, right on Colfax Avenue. And I'm going to invite all of those who are baptized to come to the 9 a.m. so we can prepare. But I've got a few spots left. And if that's you, I want to tell you to take advantage of it today. You can register in the app and you can do it. I'm telling you, do it as quick as you can because we're going to close it on Wednesday. I want to make sure I get a chance to connect with everybody who's going to be baptized. But hear me and hear me clear. If you feel that pull in your heart, don't miss it. Don't discount it. Don't say, next time. This time. It is always this time that is the right time to go public with your faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. So take advantage of that. Make sure that you register in the app. That's next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, that's October 15th, we're going to have our quarterly membership class. It's called Beacon Basics. This class is an opportunity for me to sit down with all those who feel like Beacon might just be home. And what we do is we gather together. We're going to do it right between both services, right across the street at the Goose Town Tavern. And we sit down, we talk about the mission, the history, and the vision of this church, where God's calling us. And we help you find a place to fit, a home either through a small group, a ministry, a service team, whatever it is, we talk about why God has called you here and we get you plugged in. Amen? So if you've been dating us, do me a favor and make it official. 
put a ring on this finger, right? Uh, And I say this very clearly. We don't do formal membership, but I'm going to tell you there is benefit in covenant, in community, and in accountability. Amen? I meet people all the time, and they want all of the benefits of community, but none of the accountability of community, right? They want all of the fruit of the family without being in the family. I'm going to tell you right now, you want to eat at the potluck, bring a dish. Amen? So that... (laughs) I, that, that just came out. That was Jesus. That's good. That's good. So that's on the 15th. I want to encourage you to do that, Beacon Basics. And then I got something new for you. Um, starting just this last week and moving forward, we've got a brand new fire small group here at our church, and I want to tell you about it. I want to celebrate this with you because here's why. The Sunday gathering is like the engine of the car. This is where all of the fire happens. Amen? But... Just coming to the big gathering is not enough. I'm just going to say that to you right now. If you just attend on Sunday and then you're never engaged with the community of faith, I'm telling you, you're missing out on so much more that God wants to offer you. And so what we do is we have small groups all over the city and they meet on different days of the week. We call them our fires, small fires burning throughout the city. And we've got a brand new one that just launched. It's a, it's a men's only group. Come on, fellas. It's a men's only group. And it meets on Wednesday nights. It's led by Lucas, who was playing bass up here, and Deacon John Chavez. And, um, and true to form, this men's group is available for you men right now to register in the app. You can get connected. And, uh, and it's called the Bible Bros. And I love that so much, I joined the group. Amen. The Bible Bros uh, is already up and running. So, fellas, here's what I'm telling you right now. Get connected. Find find a group of guys. Find a community. It is the fastest way for the Lord to grow you. Amen? Amen. Also, uh, one last thing. If you don't already have it, uh, I want to encourage you to get the app. The app that we have is the best way for you to get connected. You can register for all of these events. Join a small group. Join a service team. You can give. You can set a meeting for coffee with me. Listen to our sermons. Everything we do is in the app. And the fastest way for you to do it is simply text the word BEACON to the number 97,000, and you will get a link back for you to download it right into your phone. This is how we do everything, and it's just a super simple way for us to stay engaged. Amen? All right, last thing for you. It's, it's, uh, it's our time to be generous in the house. Would you help me thank God for the opportunity to be generous? Oh, you can do better than that. Y'all better, y'all better thank God that he lets us get a part of what he's doing in this city. I want to level with you, church. I want to just have a family meeting. Y'all good? This is a good family meeting, but it's a family meeting. We're growing as a church numerically. And um, and that's really good. We're in the process of dreaming and believing in big faith for a more permanent home. Some of you know we bought a building downtown and the cost to build it out just proved to be um, too much. It would be too much for us to take out a construction loan to build it. The monthly payment on that construction loan was close to three times our monthly revenue as a church. And uh, I have faith, <laughs> but that's dumb. Amen. <laughs> so we, we've put the building on the market, and we're allowing the Lord to do uh, whatever the Lord wants to do, both under the guidance of our, our elders, our apostolic overseers in this church, and, and the outside donors who came alongside us to help us purchase this building all have agreed it's a good move for us to think in faith about finding a more permanent home.
And, and if we continue to grow at the rate we're growing at, we're going to be at three services and then, you know, Easter's going to come. We're, we're going to be here all day long. And, and, and some of you will be like, that's fine. I'll go to the 1 p.m. service. But I need you to pray for Pastor Ty because seven services is a lot of services. Amen? Here's why I tell you this. We're growing numerically. And we're growing spiritually. Family meeting? We're not yet growing financially. And so we can't do what's necessary for the next season. We have more people in the room, and I'm seeing a lot more life change. But our monthly offerings haven't changed. And so we're, we're currently just limited to here. Because in order for us to transition to a more permanent home, it would mean that we'd need to, to spend a significant amount of money for build-out, even if we were to rent. And, and because this is Denver, if we were to rent, the cost to rent would be significantly higher than what we pay right now. As much as two to three times what we pay right here for Sunday mornings, okay? And so here, here's what I'm going to just tell you. If we get the opportunity to sell our building, we will get the opportunity to use some of that money for the build-out of a new place should we find a place we can rent. But we will need every hand and every heart to step up so that we can undergird the vision. Amen? So every week you hear us talk about tithes and offerings, and I want to tell you exactly what we need it for. This isn't for new cars or new houses. It's not for anything other than putting forth the work of the Lord. And so here's the vision. We need a permanent home. And the only way that we're going to do it is if every person in the house is obedient in their giving. Amen? I know it's quiet. I know some of us don't like to hear the, but this is, this is it. I'm on level with you. I'm not here to manipulate you or to tell you if you give, you'll get. Here's what we're going to do. If we all became tithers in this house, we could make the shift very, very quickly. We'd be able to undergird where we're at. So here's my challenge to you. If you're a tither, thank you. Thanks for believing in this little thing, this little church. I'm going to ask you to lean in a little more. We're going to launch a year-end giving campaign for November and December, but I'm going to ask some of you to start right now. If you're already tithing your 10%, I'm going to ask you to give 2, 3, 4, 5% more to help us get there. And if you're not yet giving, I'm not mad at you. I'm just inviting you to make a change. If you want the Lord to change your heart and change other areas of your life, I'm telling you right now, give him all of your life, including your money. Not all your money, but you know what I mean. Unless the Lord leads you. <laughs> and we'll put your name right above the coffee shop. That was given by... Um, I'm going to challenge you to step out in faith in giving. If you've never given before, make today the first day you test God and be serious about it. Lord, I don't know about this, but I'm willing to try Step up and become a tither or a fruitful giver so that we can grow. We can have a permanent place in this city. Y'all with me? You hear me on this? I'm just trying to be as honest as I can with you. We've been operating with a surplus that's been helping us get to where we need to be, but where we need to be needs more of you. And so I'm inviting you to be a part of it in Jesus' name. So there's several ways that you can give. There should also be a QR code. Super easy. If you scan that QR code, it'll take you right to the giving page. I'm going to tell you right now, even if you give $10, $5, $50 to get this part of your life started, I'm telling you right now, God will bless it. I will tell you from personal experience, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? And he is faithful to givers in Jesus' name. Let me pray over your gift today.
And if you came and you don't want to give by credit card, but you want to drop cash, we have a, uh, an offering bucket, or if you have a check, you can do that on the way out as well. But for all of us who are giving today, I want to challenge you, and I want to pray over your gift. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we're thankful, thankful, God, for the growth that you've given us, thankful for the harvest, thankful for the great faith that you've called us to do, to do mighty things in this city. But God, today, I ask that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd, that you'd provoke us to a place of obedience, not just in our living, but also in our giving. And God, when we give, would you, would you multiply that seed, a seed sown, planted in water, that would bring forth much fruit? God, help us to know that when we give to the kingdom, we never give away from ourselves. We give to you so that we can walk into the harvest that you have for us. God, I thank you in advance for all those that are giving today. Would you bless them from the top of their head, the soles of their feet, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Thank you all so much. I appreciate you letting me be honest with you. Um, I, I just think it's important for us as a church to, to level with each other. Amen. I want, I, I, and, and let me just also level with you. I don't want to be the only one stressing out about this. Amen? There are some days I'm like, oh, what are we going to do about that? And I'm like, wait a minute. This is our budget. This ain't my budget. This is our budget. Amen? We need to go after this thing together in Jesus' name. All right. You have your Bible say yeah? 9 a.m. You got a paper Bible. Just throw it up in the air and wave it around like you certainly care. We're going to continue our series in Luke chapter 9, so if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read today. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week. We're in Luke 9, verse 7. Luke 9, verse 7. I'm going to read a little bit from last week to give us context and set the stage for where we need to go, but the bulk of our study today will be from Luke chapter 9, verses 7, 8, and 9. It reads like this. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and still by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Verse 9, Herod said, now, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see Jesus. The title of our message today is, um, let's give them something to talk about. Do y'all know that song? Something to talk about. Do y'all know that song? Let's give them something to talk about. Yeah. There it is. Worship team always take us right to the bridge. We stand just, never mind. All right. Uh, let's give them something to talk about. That's the title of our message today. That's the big idea that I want to leave you with today is, is let's be the kind of people who are believing and living for Jesus in such a manner that everyone is talking about him. And that's the push. Would you do me a favor? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the gospel of Luke, such a precise and detailed gospel written to those of us who weren't raised in the tradition of the chosen people, the nation of Israel, written in such a fashion that we might see you in the details. Now, God, today, I thank you for the details, and I thank you that you'd open our ears and our hearts to receive afresh from you. God, we surrender, and we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, for context, I'm going to set something up for you today. We pick up in verse 7, reading just these three verses, 7, 8, and 9. And, and, and I think it's important that we jump back just a little bit to our teaching from last week so you know sort of the context in which Herod is, is speaking, is engaging with the narrative here today. Remember last week, we talked about how Jesus had given power to the disciples, how he had sent them out, how he had set some, some restrictions on how they were to go out, but he gave them some pretty clear instructions on what to do. That's, that's the framework through which we need to have this conversation today. Chapter 9, verse 1, it says this. It says, he, now that's he, he, Jesus, called the 12. These are the 12 disciples whom he named apostles in chapter 6, the 12 men who, who, who are in relationship with Jesus. Perfect, no, but, but in relationship with Jesus, trusting in Jesus, being changed by Jesus. He called them to himself because of their relationship, and he sent them out. Verse 1, it says, he called the 12 together, and he gave them power. Remember, we talked about power. That's the ability to complete a task. And he gave them authority. Remember, we talked about authority. That's the right to complete a task. Jesus called those whom he had relationship with, and he gave them ability, and he gave them authority. He gave them strength, and he gave them the right. He gave them everything they needed to do to do impossible things, to do impossible things. It says, he called the 12 together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Don't miss this. God called them together. Jesus, God in flesh, called 12 people, flawed though they be, Together, to him, in one, powwow, huddle time. And he said, I have a mission for you. And I don't want you to miss the mission because in church, we can very easily lose our way to when we talk about mission and we talk about purpose and we can veer into TED Talk territory, right? Where we're up here talking about your mission and your vision and your purpose. And I hear, I hear that all the time and I'm here to tell you that is not the vision. That's not the mission that's not the purpose. Jesus called them together and said, I am going to send you out. This is your mission. This is your purpose. Ready? He sends them out to heal and to preach, to cast out demons and to preach. You say, well, hold on. What about success? Nope, not in there. Well, hold on. What about wealth? No, also not in there. Shoot. Okay. What, 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 what about health? Not in there. Not for them. He says, come here. Here's the mission. I'm going to give you everything you need to go out and heal the sick, the afflicted, to cast out demons and deliver those who are in bondage and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 6. It says, and they departed. They heard the assignment. It says, they gathered, they got instructions, and they left. And they went through the villages. Making money? No. Working the job they dreamed of? No. Engaging in some self-care? No. Taking a me day? It says they left and they preached 
and they healed. See, I, I, I can't overstate this. This is what Jesus calls all of us to. You said, wait, pastor, hold on. Hey, Deb, hold on. Um, he called you to preach. <laughs> You're the one who yells. I don't, I don't preach. I don't preach. And I certainly don't heal. I'm not going to heal. That's weird. I don't want to walk around laying hands on people. I'm not out here trying to cast out devils. That's freaky. That's not me. Hold up. Wait a minute. Ready? That's you. Did you know that? Did you know sitting in your seat right now, those of you who have come into a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not perfect. I know. Those of you who are in a relationship with Jesus, he has called you to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, and to cast out demons in the world in which he sends you. I was hoping for a shout right there. <laughs> it's the 9 a.m. The 11 a.m. be like, let's go! He has called you to do the impossible. And so they just do it. It doesn't say they argued, questioned, asked for clarity. It just says he spoke and they moved. Amen? And that's where we pick up our story here today, which is this. Here's the introduction. Ready? The work of Jesus through the disciples is working in Jesus' name. Amen? The mission of the Christ as carried out by the apostles is effective in Jesus' name. And it's starting to make some waves in the community in which they're doing it. Here's the push. Ready? This should be true for you. This literally is exactly what is supposed to be your testimony, your story, right? Your testimony is supposed to be like this. He found me, called me, sent me, <laughs> and you'll never believe what I've been doing lately. I mean, it's going to blow your mind. Yesterday, I met a, a lady at the store, and I prayed, and she got her sight back. That's the story. That's the testimony. That's literally what God is calling you to do. Yesterday, I met a man, and he was, he was, he was crying, and I walked over, and I sat with him, and I began to pray with him, and, and I began to preach the gospel to him, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he stopped crying, and he said, I'm about to tell everybody about this, Jesus. Your testimony is not supposed to be, I used to be bad, and things are a little bit better now. Your testimony is supposed to be, I met Jesus, and he gave me power and authority. And I've been walking in it. I've been doing impossible things. You'll never believe what's happening around me. And you're here, and that's not yet your testimony? Let's make it today. Let's give them something to talk about. Let's change into the kind of people who are walking in power and authority with Jesus, who have been transformed by him, made new, and are working in such a fashion that when people see us, they're like, what in the heavens is happening? I want people to be astonished by you. Amen? Not just like, you go to church? That's cool. You know what I mean? We want big change in our life. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how this happens. Let's talk about 
what we're really trying to get at in terms of walking out in such a fashion that the word begins to spread. First thing you need to understand is this. Whenever God moves, he cannot be ignored. Amen? Now, I just want to take a moment. Hey, those are better. Did you remake those? We had some graphics done by our graphics company, and man, they were terrible. But those are, those are fine. This is a side note. I'm addressing it because I was worried about them. Uh, anyway, all right, listen. Sorry. I have ADD. Sometimes it's untreated. Whenever God moves, ready? Whenever God moves, say it with me. Whenever God moves, he cannot be ignored. And that is what we're talking about here. Here's the beauty of this story. Herod hears about what's happening. This is Herod Antipas. He's the tetrarch or like the governor or the county commissioner over the region of Galilee, the collections of seaside towns and villages from where Jesus grew up and began his ministry. And Herod Antipas serves under the jurisdiction of Roman rule, but has autonomy when it comes to his rule over the Jewish citizens. In many ways, he's like a mini king over the Jews in his neighborhood. Amen? And this Herod, Antipas, is the same Herod who has beheaded John the Baptist at the request of his brother's wife's daughter. If you know the story, his brother's wife, Herodias, has a daughter who dances before Herod at a ceremony, and she pleases him, which is not a holy term. Amen. And because he likes her so much, he says, tell me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And though he knows that's a little bit out of the range of what he should do, he's made a promise, and he's at a party, and there's many guests, and so he does it. He has John the Baptist beheaded. This Herod Antipas is the son of Herod the Great, who during the time of Jesus' birth was the king over all of the Jewish people in the Roman diaspora. He was the king under the Caesar because Caesar had a way of incorporating kingdoms and communities. Rome would take over territory and as a way to have ownership over the land and the people, but still create a sense of peace, they would give communities and give kingdoms and give tribes the opportunity to be somewhat self-governing. And they would essentially establish a figurehead. Herod the Great was a Jewish figurehead. And when Herod the Great had found out that Jesus was going to be born or that the promise of a Messiah was to be born, it was Herod the Great who ordered that all of the children be killed. Now, this Herod, Antipas, not the same as Herod the Great, they are sons, but we have no evidence from the text that Herod Antipas would have known that this Jesus was the same promised Messiah that his father had killed. Y'all good with the backup? I'm teaching for just a minute. Is this all right? This Herod would not have known. We have no indication he knew. But here's, here's what he does know. Something is happening in this community that cannot be explained by natural terms. The Bible says here in verse 7, Herod had heard about all that was happening and he was per 
perplexed. And now here's the best part about this. These are just regular men. You know the story of the 12, right? Many of them are just fishermen, small business owners to be sure, but just regular men, not learned or trained rabbis or scribes or teachers in any fashion, not men of great fortitude or power, not men of prestige, glory, or honor. These are just regular dudes who have been changed by Jesus and sent out. And they've been sent out, as we learned last week, in groups of two and just to Israel, specifically the villages of Galilee. And these regular men walking through small towns begin to live obediently and serve so powerfully that word begins to spread far and wide. Now, this isn't in the notes, but we have to stop right here. We have got to break the curse off of your life that says my life will amount to little. Perhaps one of the biggest curses that the enemy has on the church is not that you would not believe, but that you would believe that your belief is ineffective or amounts to nothing. I see people all the time who say, yeah, I'm saved. And I've never understood that. You mean to tell me that the God who created the universe and spoke all things into existence through his great good and mercy chose you despite your sin and in spite of your failings, called you by name, ransomed his son so that you might be pulled out of the depths of hell that you rightly deserved only so that you could go, well, I guess it's cool. You mean to tell me that God in flesh came down and experienced all temptation and all pain and he endured the cross, despised the shame, and he hung up there, not by the nails, but by his great love for you that you might have eternal life with him and you don't think that's a big deal? Baby, that's a big deal. Every day you wake up with air in your lungs and light in your life, you should recognize that my God, my God, the God, God himself has made a way for me. Why? Because I'm good? No, because he's so good. He loves me. That's what we're talking about here today. I want to encourage you to consider the fact that your life amounts to much. So much that God said, I will die for And when you can see your salvation with such magnitude, hopefully you'll be able to see your sanctification in the same fashion. He didn't just ransom you. He ransomed you to change the world. And these 12 boneheads are just bold enough to believe that. I think we've gotten too jaded as a world to consider that, that, that 12 of us, 6 of us, 2 of us, a little baby church on Colfax, I think we've been too jaded to consider the fact that we might actually be the source of revival. Oh, what it would be like if we could be the kind of church who showed up on Sundays and actually believed God was doing something in this church that would ripple out to Denver and Colorado and the country. What would happen if every one of us thought of ourselves as an ambassador that God was going to use to Change the course of history. James believed it. John and Peter. 
Simon the Zealot, even Judas. Even Thomas, who doubted later on at one point, had been captivated by his encounter with Jesus, and he knew something was changing, and he was trusting God to change the world through him. Oh, that I could get that into you. And because they had faith to trust him at his word, and because they lived according to his instructions, what they did bore much fruit. And here's the best part, ready? The gospel is meant for everyone. It's meant for the lowly, the destitute, the broken, the brokenhearted, the down and out, the outcasts, the sinner, and the rich, the prestigious. Those in high office, those with all honor, those with all glory, those who have rejected him. And the gospel is even meant for those who hate the gospel, who hate God himself, who seek to kill him and ridicule him. The gospel is meant for everyone. And the truth of the matter is, is that most people don't believe that the gospel is meant for them because the carriers of the gospel don't believe it either. See, you think you've been saved and then you meet people who are mean and you're like, well, this is not for you. Oh, I know you don't say it, do you? You'd never say Jesus doesn't love you. But you live like Jesus doesn't love them. There's somebody right now you've met, you know, and they are mean to you about Jesus. And you have given up on them. You stopped engaging with them. In fact, you avoid topics of religion altogether with them because you think. They're a lost cause. You ever meet somebody you think is a lost cause? Be honest. I, I've met some people who I think are a lost cause. I have met people and I'm like, man, if you would save them, you would? <laughs> One day when you get there, when we stand face to face, there will be some of the biggest critics and enemies of Christ standing side by side because the gospel is for everyone. And it just takes a few people who love the gospel, been changed by the gospel, to be bold enough to go after it. And so these 12 do. And the Bible says that Herod hears about it. And the beauty is that the gospel goes up. It goes all the way up to the position of power. It goes all the way up to the man who, who should know about some changes in this world. What, what's happening is that the, the apostles are working in power. These regular men have power, which is proof that when Jesus speaks power into your life, that word has power. They're just regular people doing powerful things. Why? Because God said so. And Herod hears all about it. He gets a report. I imagine that somebody would have walked in and said, hey, Herod, uh, there's like a weird thing happening in our neighborhoods. These, uh, these goofy guys are coming around. They're just, wearing, they're just wearing one robe. They don't have a staff. They don't have a bag. They, they look homeless, actually, just so you know. And, um, and they're just walking from neighborhood to neighborhood, and everyone that they meet is changing. All of these sick people are being healed. 
A lot of the lost causes are turning around and becoming brand new. I don't really know what's happening, but, but Herod, you, you, should, you should probably know about this. And here, here's, here's why this is happening, right? Here's why this is happening. Here's why this is happening. Because God works in the supernatural so that those of us who are stuck in the supernatural have to reconcile with his power. Amen? God uses signs and wonders because they're rare for us so that even the most skeptical amongst us would have to reconcile with him. Let me flip it like this. If God wanted the gospel to be silent, it would be. Amen? If God wanted this to be a secret society that you had to seek out and find all on your own, that you had to learn a secret handshake and do a set of rituals, and that's the only way that you could get in, and it was very exclusive, then it would be like that. Amen? But it's not like that. The gospel is for everyone. And who does God choose to make it available to everyone? Say it. Say it like you mean it. Us. Ready? Not me. You. God is trying to save, heal, and deliver people through you every day. And the reason that a lot of it's not happening is because you... You're just not doing it. Oh, my gosh. Ready? Welcome to church. I'm sorry. Let me just, this is a 9 a.m. I love you. This is the hard truth of the gospel. The reason the gospel's not going forth is because so many image bearers are not also torch bearers. A lot of us are just really in love with Jesus privately. Amen? <laughs> Everybody's like, dang it, I don't like this part. I'm sorry. It's the truth. But these men build a roadmap for us. They are out there living obediently and living on mission, doing God's work. Now, last point, and then we'll make the turn, okay? Here's, here's what I want you to understand. They are not on their own mission. The Bible says that they're out there healing and preaching. Ready? Here's what they're not doing. They're not arguing. See, one of the curses of the modern American church is that we, we've gotten terrible at sharing the gospel and gotten really good at arguing about the gospel. You know what I'm talking about? If you've engaged in a conversation about the gospel, you have no doubt fallen into the trap of argument. You've tried to prove your point or get the last word. And that's not what it says they did. Verse 6, right before we jumped into this passage, it says they departed and went through the villages preaching and healing. Now, what's the difference between preaching and arguing? You're here, and I'm preaching. Amen? Have you noticed how much dialogue is taking place? Ready? This is, this is important. This is not a discourse. I am not waiting for you to tell me counterpoint. Preaching means to herald the gospel, to tell the truth, Without regard for opinion, because the truth is not informed by opinion. The Bible says they go to preach, not to argue. So your friend who wants to debate the Bible, shh, you just say this. We live in a fallen world. We're all sinful. And lest Jesus is Lord of our life, we will die in our sins. That's the gospel. Amen? 
And you're like, well, wait a minute. What if they ask me about evolution? Okay, all right, let's do it. They say, don't you believe in evolution? And you go, you're dead in your sin. And they say, hold on, wait a minute. You don't believe in evolution? There is not one good. No, not one. And Jesus came that you might have life. And you said, wait a minute, am I not supposed to engage? They departed and they were preaching and healing. Now, I'm not telling you to be so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good. But I am telling you, don't you get caught up in semantics and debate. If you are not getting a point of the cross that the world is dying and Jesus came that may, they might have life and have it more abundantly, then you are wasting your breath in the conversation. Because they will take you down a rabbit hole where at the end you're like, wait, I didn't even tell them about Jesus. You didn't even tell them about Jesus? Yeah, but I, I really got them to vote Republican. What? No, we're not. We're not. We're not arguing. We're not on conversation. We're telling people the truth. Here's why. Because they desperately need the truth. Amen? All right, let's move on. So here's the deal. Whenever God moves, he cannot be ignored if you'll live in such a fashion that it's his movement and not yours. Amen? Don't argue. Don't fuss. Don't fight. Don't make it politics. Don't make it your conversation. Don't get into debate. Tell them the truth so that they see Jesus in you. Amen? But make no mistake. If you really get serious about living for God... People are going to talk about you. If they can't talk to you, they'll talk about you. Amen? Here's what you got to see. See, verse 7, it says, Herod hears and he's confused. And then it says, some said, I'd like to know the some, some said, John has been raised from the dead. And then others said, well, Elijah has come back. And still others said, one of the prophets of old has returned. There's a lot of people chirping in Herod's ear. And they all have an opinion about who these disciples are and who's empowered them. And none of them have it right. Ready? They tell him, uh, you remember how you killed John the Baptist? And he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that one. Some of the people are saying he's back from the dead and he's mad. That's literally what happens here. Read it in the, other, in the other gospel accounts. They're telling him the understanding is that this might be John the Baptist in zombie form who's coming to get you, Herod. And others are like, nah, I don't know about that. I've heard some people say it's Elijah. You know, Elijah the prophet who did not die but was taken up in a whirlwind. He's come back down in a whirlwind. He's coming here to speak judgment over Israel, and he's looking for you. Herod's like, you guys are not making me feel any better here. Another one says, I don't know about Elijah, but I have heard that it's one of the dead prophets of old come back to life. And i got to be honest with you, Herod, <laughs> Elijah coming back is scary enough. But a dead prophet, we better hope it ain't Isaiah. He's going to be big mad. Ooh, if it's Ezekiel or Jeremiah, we're all going down, bro. Here's what I love about this. The people that are speaking about the work of God through these committed 12 men, regular men, frail men who trust God and operate in a power, the word about them and the report 
while it's supernatural, it's really close to the truth, but it's still not the truth. Here's why that's important, because like we just said, whenever God moves, he can't be ignored. Notice that none of the reports that were given to Herod were to say, this is probably no big deal, don't worry about it. Everyone knows, especially the skeptics, skeptics uh, this, is, this is, I don't know what this is, but it's kind of a big deal. Amen? Whenever you get serious about God, people are going to talk about you. Ready? I wish I could tell you that living for Christ means you get to live a very quiet and simple life. I wish I could tell you that if you get serious about your faith in Jesus, that he makes it so that everyone's really sweet to you. I actually even wish I could tell you that when people talk about you, it's just unbelievers. But the truth of the matter is this. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk by faith and not by sight, who live obediently and go after the things of God in power and authority, who trust their whole life and their will over to him, That is a powerful way to live that causes everyone to take notice, and not everyone is going to like it. Hear me. If you get serious about Jesus, some people are going to talk about you, and most of it will not be nice. People will say to you, oh, I see you got got Jesus. You got serious about Jesus. You can go to church now. Is that right? You sing in the choir or something? What do you do? They'll mock you. Amen. Or, or, or they'll mock you again because you've lived a real life that said, oh, you got, you got Jesus again. You mean it this time? I remember the last time you got Jesus. It didn't, it didn't work. Did Jesus not work? Or maybe you are serious about Jesus and the way that you're living is such a powerful, transformed way that they can't really mock it because they have to reconcile with it. And so they'll begin to question who you are and your motives, your identity. They'll say things like, why are you even in that church? You think you're better than me? Or they'll say things like, you, you, you go to that church, that church is stupid. You, you read your Bible all day. You, you, you know that. I believe in science. You, you don't believe in science? You're not smart enough? They'll start to say things about you that question who you are and what your motives are. I'm going to tell you right now, and I wish I didn't have to tell you this. The further you walk with God and the more power and authority he gives you as you walk with him, the more people talk and the more mean-spirited it is. I wish I could tell you today that being a pastor is the most wonderful, blissful, protected position in the church. But, yo, people are mean to me. I mean, genuinely mean. And I'm not soliciting your your sympathies. I'm here today to tell you that Jesus promised that you would be ridiculed for him. He said, you'll be persecuted for me. They hate me, and so they'll hate you. But he also said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake. There is a beautiful promise here that says this, when you get serious about God and the world starts their chitter chatter, most of all of which is just vitriol and mean-spirited, it is proof of two things. Number one, God's got your heart. Now, I don't know where you come from, but that for me is enough to jump up and down and shout. I love when God uses things in my life to prove to me that I'm his. And one of the best ways that he does it is when people make fun of me or 
say mean things to me about my faith. Every week, I meet people at the coffee shop down the street. If you've ever met with me, that coffee shop does not look like a church folk coffee shop. Some of y'all been there. It's covered in pride flags. And I am the only dude in there with a Bible. And people walk by me while I'm reading my Bible or praying with someone. And they don't do this. They don't, they don't go, oh, that's so nice. No, they walk by and they make sure I see them and they go like this. And last week I had a lady ask me, is that a Bible? And I'm just dumb enough to go, sure is. It's an ESV. I like it because it's kind of a word-for-word translation. Currently I'm studying the book of Luke, so I'm preparing for a sermon. Do you love the Bible? You get serious about God, the enemy gets serious about you. When God wants to do a thing in the world, he will use you. And when the enemy wants to do a thing against you, he will use them. You will be accused and ridiculed and marked and hated and lied on and spit and rejected and betrayed. And the whole world will say things about you that are, hear me, simply untrue. And when Jesus allows those things to happen, it is proof that he has your heart. And according to the Sermon on the Mount, it's promise that you are receiving a fresh blessing. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. Say it again. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. So when they walk by me in the coffee shop and they give me the stank eye so that I see them, you know what I see? Jesus just pouring out favor and pouring out love, a new portion of power, a new portion of authority. I recognize that when I sit in these chairs in places where Jesus is not welcome, he's uniquely placed me there. He has placed you where you are, where people hate you, where they ridicule you. He's uniquely, divinely appointed you for such a time as this. And when people don't like it. Jesus is well pleased about it. He's got you there for a purpose. Don't you shrink back. Don't you get worried. Don't you get fearful. Don't you think, I'm not sure if I even fit in there. Every room you walk into, you belong there. Do you know why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. They might set up a whole camp that says, no Christians welcome. And I'm asking, who's coming with me? I want to move in down on the street on the corner. We don't like you. It's all good. I still love you and so does the king. You're dead in your sin. You need to meet Jesus. I'd love to pray with you. That's what's happening here in this text. And because it's happening like this in this text, Herod, the governor, is hearing some things and people are talking. And these 12 boys, they're not afraid of man. They're not afraid of opinions. They only fear God. And because they're living in such a fashion that says Christ is Lord, everything around them changes, even those who don't want to be changed. That's power and authority. Nine minutes. Last point. Verse 9, it says, Herod said, Now, John I beheaded. 
but this is someone else. Who is this about? I hear such things. The end of the verse. And Herod sought to meet Jesus. Man, I want to tell you that the world is going to talk about your faith. Amen? And they're going to get it wrong a lot. Amen? Even your family who are Christian will say things like, are you sure that's like a good church? How many of you have told somebody where you go to church and they're like, at the Bluebird Theater? Are you sure that's... I've met people who serve in this church and they're like, when I walked in, I wasn't so sure this was a Jesus church. And then we worshiped and we preached and I realized it. And here's why I bring that to your attention. Because even when people get it wrong, Jesus always makes it right. We've walked through some pretty challenging seasons in our church. Sometimes my leadership was questioned, my integrity was questioned, and I'm so blessed to have a pastor over my life. Hear me, your pastor needs a pastor. Don't get it twisted. Every member of this church needs someone over them to lead them, especially me. And I ran to my pastor because I was hurting. And I told him what had happened, and he, he said something I'll never forget. I think about it all the time when things aren't working well. He said, time and truth always align. He said, don't you worry about if things are false right now. Eventually, the truth always comes out because God is the author of both truth and time. And so if people have got it wrong about you, they've messed up about you, if your intentions are questioned or your deeds are misaligned, even if the world gets it wrong, God will make it right. Here's how we know this. The Bible says in verse 9 that after having heard what the disciples had done and then heard the confusing chatter amongst the people around him, Herod was not moved to reject the disciples. He was not moved to order a stop to the one who had led the disciples. The Bible says he was moved to meet Jesus. Oh, I wish you could see that. These 12 boys had gone out to do immaculate, wonderful, impossible things, and it was bearing much fruit. And because these 12 common men trusted God so much, their work had made it not so that people wanted to meet them, but that people wanted to meet the God within them, the God who had called them, the God who had empowered them, and the God who was saving and healing through them. That's the call of the Christian life. Amen. We lost our way in the church by making celebrities out of pastors and leaders and worshipers. We lost our way by making people famous when we were never meant to be famous. We were just called to be faithful that he might become famous. Amen. We're called to live humbly, lowly, sacrificially so that people see supernatural things being done through unlikely people. And they're forced to ask the question, why are you doing that? Why would you ever... Wake up at 4.30 on a Sunday to build a curtain at a church. Why would, why would you give money to it? Why do you read a book that's 2,000 years old? Why do you keep asking me if I want to pray? I don't want to pray. Why do you? Why are you so nice to me? Those are the questions we're looking for. And you can say, I'm so glad you asked. You're dead and you're... No, wait, let's do that one different. Soften it up. 
I was dead in my sin. And I heard of Jesus. How in spite of me, he died to save me. I've just given him everything and, and everything's changing. We want people to want to meet him because of us. Let's give them something to talk about. Amen? Let me show you this last piece, and I don't want you to miss it. I'm going to have the band come up. We're, we're going to worship for just a couple seconds. we got to turn because we've got another service, and you can't talk forever, Chuck. <laughs> Listen. Herod wants to meet Jesus, but he doesn't meet Jesus here. In fact, in Luke 14, Jesus calls Herod a fox. Sneaky fox. But he does meet Jesus later in Luke. And I want to read the passage to you. It's in Luke 22. Let's find it here. It's right here in Luke 23. The Bible says that, 23.6, it says, When Pilate had heard, he asked Jesus whether he was Galilean. And when he had learned that he was Galilean, he learned that he belonged to Herod Antipas' jurisdiction. And so Pilate, the Roman governor, sent Jesus to Herod, who just so happened to be in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' arrest. Verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, finally, it says, he was glad, for he had long desired to meet him. He'd heard about what he had been doing, and he was hoping to see one of those signs. But verse 9, he began to question Jesus, and he questioned it about some length, but he made no answer. Jesus spoke nothing. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, looking at Herod's conversation, leaning into Herod to make sure that he did what was right. And they vehemently accused Jesus. And Herod, with his soldiers, under the influence of the Pharisees and scribes who wanted Jesus dead, shifted his tone and treated him with contempt and mocked him. It says, and then, arraying him in splendid clothing. The other translation says, dressing him in the finest of robes. He sent him back to Pilate, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that day. Before this, they had enmity with one another. Now, we could preach on this forever, but here's what you need to see. Twelve boys who trusted Jesus at his word lived holy and on Jesus' mission. And they did it with power in such a fashion that the world around them was changed. Word spread to the highest position of power in the region. It changed Herod's heart and he wanted to meet him. And on Jesus' timing, Herod met Jesus. It says that he met him with gladness. And he wanted to see a sign. But he was surrounded by a bunch of people who didn't want to see a sign. They wanted to see him dead. And so he mocked him. And then he did the most unlikely of things. He dressed him 
in clothing fit for a king. This makes absolutely no sense in the text. He is the governor, and he should be quashing this potential rebellion. And instead, he dresses Jesus as he's rightfully called to dress. Now, some theologians will say this was to mock him, to pretend that he was king. But the challenge with that is that there's simply no need to mock him. All he needed to do was execute him. And when he dresses him up as a king and sends him back to Pilate, he essentially sends, says to Pilate, I also find no fault in him. I don't want to do this. And Pilate later says, I don't want to do this either. See, all of these people had Jesus wrong. Amen? And yet in Jesus' time, they all met him and their hearts were changed about him. Have faith. There are people in your life who've got Jesus wrong. But you just keep sowing seeds. You just keep preaching the gospel. You just keep healing the sick. You keep praying for people. You keep loving on people. You keep walking in righteousness. You keep going through difficult times in front of them and showing them what it's like to trust in the unchanging hand of Jesus so that when they go through difficult times and they can't make it, they say, all right, how do you do it? In the end, we actually don't know what happened with Herod. But it says at the end of this passage, him and Pilate, who were at once enemies, became dear friends. They became dear friends. We know in the passage before that Pilate's wife says, uh, hey, don't touch that Jesus, dude. I think he might actually be who he says he is. And the Egyptian church holds it that Pilate himself came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Could it be that even Herod, a man who had beheaded the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist, who had mocked him, hunted him, chased him, ridiculed him and got him wrong, he too could have came home to Jesus. We'll never know unless we go out and give him something to talk about. We will never see God bring forth fruit unless we go out and start planting seeds in Jesus' name. So would you do me a favor? Stand to your feet all over the room. We're out of time. I'm not out of message. But I'm going to give you this. If you've been living timidly in your faith, today is the day to break it. If you've been walking in such a fashion that you think that your faith and your walk with Christ amounts to nothing, I want to break that off of your life. We're going to pray right now. Would you do me a favor? Bow your head. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we no longer are content with being part-time Christians, silent Christians, hidden Christians. Your word tells us that you give us power, that you give us authority, that you send us out to preach, to heal, to cast out demons, to deliver, and to bring forth freedom to the captives. God, today, we stretch our hands to you today, and we say, we're going to take you at your word. We've never been able to do things like that on our own, but we trust you today. God, would you call us by name? Would you send us in great power so that everyone would speak about you? God, today, we want to give them something to talk about. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen.